Morning, everyone. If you're visiting with us, uh, my name is Mark. Um, we're so glad to have you here to worship together. Well done to the worship team. Isn't it great to see Lisa on bass? Awesome. My kids, who are very close to Lisa, uh, were absolutely confused when they heard she's going to be on bass. They were like, when did she start playing bass? It was like the other day. She's like, I think I'm going to play bass. And then today she's on the worship team. So well done. Uh, you're a bit of like a, a ninja musician. Um, but it was beautiful having you on stage. It was awesome. And thank the worship team. Nas, I'm sure, enjoyed being back on the worship team this morning as well. Um, it was just great to worship together. And those who are on Zoom, uh, as Josh said, I just trust that you, you um, were able to experience something of the presence of God in our togetherness, even though we're not physically face-to-face. John, I wonder if you can turn me down a little bit. I feel like I'm probably a bit, a bit more excitable than I'm set at at the moment, if you don't mind. Um, I'm going to read to us the portion that I'm going to preach through this morning. We're starting a new series in Luke, uh, Jesus in Luke, and we're going to be spending time just working through Luke carefully um, and just see some amazing things that come from Luke. This is a great book. It's probably the gospel that's written chronologically. We, we can't really be sure. Uh, in other words, it's a storyline. It looks like it's a storyline. It's written by a doctor who took surgical, uh, his surgical skill to compiling it together. Luke didn't walk with Jesus, which is an exciting thing in that he had to go and find all the data, all the resources. He had to go, uh, go to Mary and ask her for her stories and go to the other disciples and ask them for theirs. And he had to make sense of all the stories and kind of show a narrative that was, uh, you know, in other words, here's the story of Jesus. I've checked all the sources, and this is what everyone says. Um, and so it's this wonderful, and, and it starts off, and you're going to see it now, that he writes to most excellent Theophilus. We don't know who that is, but he writes to this person. He says, because I want you to have certainty about the gospel, the gospel of Jesus. So he say, painstakingly, as doctors can do things painstakingly, he painstakingly has put together this narrative of the gospel of Jesus, and we're going to spend some time finding Jesus in this and being encouraged through it. And the worship and the prayer, uh, Stash, thanks for Psalm 139 and just praying. Those are really going to help us in light of this morning's text. Um, it's quite wonderful, kind of the thread of what the Spirit may be saying. Um, let me just read it to us. We're going to read the first 25 verses. Inasmuch as many have undertaken uh, to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught uh, about Jesus, about the gospel. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no children, because Elizabeth was barren. And both were advanced in years. That means they were very old. Now, while he was serving as priests before God, Uh, as a priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth, this very old uh, spouse, will bear you a son, 
and you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient uh, to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to you, I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in your time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he had come out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among my people. Father God, as we look at your word this morning, we thank you that you've spoken to us, that you've lent into us, that you've... uh, as Stash said, God, you've, you've helped us to know you, even though our minds can't understand you. And while you remain a mystery to us, you're also very close to us. You are remarkable, Father. Thank you so much for your word, and I pray that this morning you would just help us to be encouraged by it, help us to hear it, help us to be challenged by it. Let, it, let us have its way upon our hearts and our minds. Let it bear fruit in our lives, in our, in our church, in our city. For your glory's sake. Amen. Um, This morning, I want to uh, look at four points. Certainty, circumstances, complexity, and then the conclusion. Um, I don't know what what you're like in dancing. Maybe you're a great dancer. I'm not a great dancer. Um, And so it troubles me whenever I have to dance with uh, with someone who's very good. Um, You know, you've got to like move your hips. That's like impossible for me. Um, But... Dancing with God is a little bit like this. Like he's the pro, he's the expert, he can do everything and he calls us to dance with him, to walk with him, to keep in step with him. And it's impossible because we don't know how to do it. We can't do it right. We can't do it well. Um, And we're going to learn a little bit about this morning about the perfection of God, the sovereignty of God, the determination of God to act, to move, to participate in our lives, but our inability to actually uh, keep in step perfectly with him and our great need therefore for him to come and not only do his part, but also kind of do our part. A little bit. Um, so let's just quickly look at the first thing. Certainty in God's plans. Uh, the gospel, which is good news about Jesus, who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, what he's accomplished for us, and what that means for us, it's, is meant to be something that you can be certain about. Um, so this is why Luke carefully wrote this accurate account of Jesus' life and this, his, the message of Jesus to Theophilus, so Theophilus could be completely certain about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, now, if you've experienced doubts in your faith, have, uh, it, and I'm sure most people have, it's okay, you're not alone, um, you need certainty. And in a way, Luke writes to you also. Luke writes to anyone who's placed their faith in Jesus, or anyone who's heard about Jesus, or anyone who's heard the gospel of Jesus, and he goes, look, I'm going to show you how you can be certain about the, the gospel of Jesus, about the message of what you've heard. Think about the things that you're certain of in your life. 
just quickly, let's just quickly talk about certainty, because certainty is something we talk about often, but it's not something we actually experience much. Are you certain that you're going to uh, reach a ripe old age? Are you certain that you're always going to be healthy? Or if you're not healthy and you're sick, are you certain that you're going to be made well? Are you certain that you're going to keep your job as long as you need it? Are you certain if you own a company that it's going to be profitable? Are you certain if you're going to high school this year, uh, Ella and Travis, that you're going to find good friends? Parents, are you certain that your kids are going to be with the right crowd or uninfluenced by the wrong crowd? Are you certain if you're single and want to get married, are you certain that you're going to find someone to marry? If you're single and want to stay single, are you certain that God's going to let you remain single? If you're married, are you certain that your marriage won't end? Now, there's lots of, lots of ways we can lean into that and say, we, we want to be certain, we want to be sure, and we want to, but actually, fundamentally, we aren't certain about much or anything. Right? Are we certain that the COVID restrictions will be lifted next Sunday morning at 12.01 a.m.? <laughs> no. <laughs> but here's the thing. So all of life we're uncertain about, most of life, not all, most of life we're uncertain about. We live with uncertainty, and yet Paul's, uh, Luke claims, the one thing I want you to be certain about is Jesus and his message. You may not be certain about anything else in your life. You may not be certain when you will, when you will die, how you will die, how healthy you'll be, how unhealthy you'll be, whether you'll have a job, whether you'll have security, whether you'll have a home, whether you'll have children, marriage, single, alone, no friends, friends. You, you can't be certain. What you can be certain about, what you must be certain about, what I want you to be certain about is Jesus and His message for you. I want you to live every single day knowing what He's done for you, knowing who He is to you. That's a great certainty, yeah. which makes sense of our singing this morning, that you are my portion. You are enough for me. You are the only one that can satisfy me. That wasn't in the song, but it, w- it was underlying the things that we sang. And so Luke, like, kind of takes our faith to this great level. He levels us up to the level of certainty. We live in this uncertain place, but Luke takes our faith and says, everything else can be uncertain, but about Jesus, you can live certain. Um, so that's, that's certainty. Secondly, what about circumstances? Um, Luke begins to lay this platform for certainty by going back uh, before Jesus' birth, about a year before Jesus' birth, and he uh, tells us about a couple named Zechariah and Elizabeth. This happens to be um, who, Jesus's, who will be Jesus' uncle and auntie. Um, they were very godly people, the, Luke tells us. They were a godly husband and wife. They kept the law. They were blameless. Zechariah was one of 18,000 priests in Israel. And as far as anyone can tell, he lived a blameless life. Uh, so Luke goes and, and uncovers the story. Who is Zechariah? What was he like? Who knows about him? And he uncovers that, yeah, Zechariah is just one of those standouts. Amongst the standouts, he stands out, um, both him and Elizabeth. They've been married for about 40 years or more and have been faithful to God this whole time, even though God has left them barren. There's one thing they've asked God for, or one primary thing they've, got, they've asked God for, is a child. A son. And God has left them barren. They've been faithful to God. Do you, do you know any circumstances like that? Any situations like that? This couple is hopeless in terms of having children. Biologically, it's impossible. 
Their prayers haven't been answered. 40 plus years married. Nothing's going to change. I, the angel comes and says, God's going to answer your prayer. But I wonder when the last time was that they prayed that prayer, they prayed thousands of times before. Was it when she went through menopause and couldn't have children anymore? What, was it when they just decided, well, we're barren and, and that's just the way we're going to be? When was the moment that they probably stopped praying the prayer? And yet, to the angel, it's as, it's as if they had just prayed it. God's going to answer your prayer. What prayer? Now, maybe the prayer is something else. We don't know what the prayer is. But I suspect that the fact that he says you're going to have a son, I suspect that the prayer has something to do with having a son. Otherwise, Zachariah wouldn't know what the angel was talking about. We live with these kinds of haunting questions about God. How come bad things happen to good people? How come people make incredible sacrifices? They reject worldly success or lifestyles. And yet they sometimes experience unique suffering or greater challenges than others. How can people who kind of lay their lives down for God seem to leave, their lives seem to left laid down? God doesn't seem to pick them up. You know, you and I have known people who've made financial sacrifices for God. God hasn't necessarily blessed them. Not in the ways that we would think God would bless them. All sorts of time sacrifices, and yet they don't seem to be blessed. How can this be? And these kind of haunting questions, you know, how, like, just like Psalm 73, you know, how come it goes better with those who are selfish, self-centered, and do their, do their own thing? It kind of does seem like a principle in this world is pick yourself up by your bootstraps. Make yourself, like, do what's best for you. How come that seems to work? And when you, do, when you don't, when you trust God and you do what seems best in God's, in God's will, it doesn't always seem to go well by our definition of what going well means. So we have these haunting questions, and we try not to be offended by God, but we try not to have these thoughts. We don't come and kind of commonly share them. We try not to believe that maybe he doesn't care. Maybe he doesn't listen. Maybe he isn't active. Maybe we didn't have enough faith. Maybe we didn't pray enough. Maybe we didn't fast enough. Maybe we didn't sacrifice enough. Maybe I'm just not one of those people that God wants to do amazing things in their lives. Maybe there's other people who have more favor than me. We have these questions that bombard us, and we don't want to have them. We don't want to believe them, but they just kind of seem like weeds to be there. We plant something beautiful in the garden, and somehow there's weeds. We have this beautiful faith in Jesus, yet somehow there's these haunting questions about what He's really like. And we don't know whether to blame Him, blame ourselves. Is He punishing us? Is He just not that good? We don't know what to do. There's, there's these haunting questions. There's two principles that come out I just want to draw out at, at the moment. Principle number one is God often answers our prayers when we no longer need what we ask for because we've found the deep answer in Him. So I'm going to talk this out a little bit. It's not directly connected to the text, although it is exactly what happened with Zachariah and Elizabeth. Not always, but often, God answers our prayers when we no longer need them. God, if I could just have a wife, I'd, we'd be able to serve you perfectly team we'd give our lives we'd go to the missions and you just can't seem to find that one thing that's like the last thing you need to serve god properly sorry is there a, is there a tissue love which is you know and then suddenly one day you realize you know i don't need a wife to serve god i just need to lay my life down and serve god i just need to get on with it 
and you start, and, you, and God, by surprise, through the side door, here comes Eve. Perfectly and wonderfully made for you. What a wonderful surprise. God, if I just, thanks, Nas. God, if I just had an amazing job, then I'd be able to give all my money to your kingdom. Can you just provide me an amazing job? And then you realize God doesn't need your money. You can't find this job. No one's hiring you. There's no fight. You don't, you've got just what you need. Nothing to give away. And then you realize that God actually loves when we give out of our poverty, not out of our wealth. Because He doesn't need anything we have. He wants to give out of our hearts, not out of our bank accounts. Hopefully our giving always reflects that. And then we realize that and we become generous of hearts. And God goes, oh, all right, you no longer need that. Here we go. Here's a, here's a great job for you. Now, I just want you to see that principle, that God is not mean or horrible. He just often waits, to, waits because we're not ready. Because if He were to give us the thing we wanted, it would become God in our life. It would replace Him. And so once we see who He really is and we connect with Him, He goes, oh, okay, it's no longer dangerous for you. Here's the thing you wanted anyway. And we go, thanks God, but I don't really need it, but thanks very much. Now I can just love it appropriately. Does it make sense? Principle number one. And in that way, you see Zachariah and Elizabeth, they've probably stopped praying about this child. They've probably had a death. They've probably gone through the suffering. They've probably laid it down. They've really let John, who they don't know is going to be there, they've really let John die. And he is going to die at around 30. But they've really let him die in their hearts. Well, now they're ready to be blessed with this incredible son. Principle number two, God is always the initiator. We, are ne- we never come to God with a good idea. We may come to God with a good idea, but we are never, He's never surprised. Oh, I'm glad you thought about that. <laughs> uh, I, I have a role in this church to lead, and, and I love it when people come with good ideas because I don't have all of them. So when someone initiates something, I love it. In fact, we can't actually be the church God wants us to be without other people initiating good ideas. But God's not like us. He's not limited, and, and there's no one who comes to God with a good idea he, he, he didn't initiate. He's always the initiator. He's always leaning into our lives. We're not the ones who lean into Him. And so Luke has uh, shown us this godly couple who are stuck in a situation they never wanted to be in. They never asked for, they never put their hand up for. And they have absolutely no chance of getting out of it. Luke wants to show us very, very clearly and very specifically that only God, as Josh said, you know, God, do your, do your miracles in our lives as you prayed this morning, that, that uh, Zachariah and Elizabeth are in a situation where unless God leans in, there's no, nothing's going to change in their lives. But if God's going to do something, no one can stop that either. So God is the initiator, right? We see this and then... God's the one who leans into our lives. So even to this day, suffering is the greatest reminder that we need God in our lives. None of us want suffering. I'm not, I'm not trying to sanctify suffering. What I am trying to say is suffering is the greatest reminder that we need God in our lives, that He needs to lean into us. What we find is when there's no suffering in our lives, we quickly forget that we need God. Life is so good we no long, longer need Him. But suffering reminds us we, we are totally at His mercy. We need Him to lean into us, to know us, to help us, to love us. So we need Him to make this way, right, that, that we're going to read about. And ultimately, we need Jesus, 
who's God's way back. God's way back to him. Let's talk about the complexity a little bit. Complexity in God's plan. Have you ever watched a movie that's kind of complex and it's, um, it's a bit like there's a lot of pieces and you're like, what is the story they're telling? You're meeting this person, that person, this person, that person, and they're putting all these pieces together and you're like, I like this, but I don't know what's happening. And then as the movie draws towards its climax or its end, all the pieces come together and you see the genius of the plan. The kind of a simple version of this would be like those Italian jobs or Ocean's Eleven where they lay all the foundation for this amazing, and you're like, oh, it's amazing. There's much more complex versions, a lot of movies I don't even understand. And by the time they connect the pieces, I'm like, I don't even remember what the pieces were. Uh, Star, Star Wars is an example of that. I think, I'm told that there's pieces that come together. I don't see it. It starts cluttered and it ends cluttered. Uh, but I'm told that it comes together. Uh, but this is the kind of story that God tells. There's a lot of pieces that are going on globally, not just globally geographically, uh, but globally in time. Across all of human history, God's telling a story. Across all nationalities, ethnicities, age groups, education. Uh, you, you just put bracket people in all categories. And there's story, a story that God's telling all people over all time. And what we want, to, we want to package God into is what is God's story in my life, in my time. And that's what our prayers are mostly about often, is this is what I'm praying about. My story, my time, within my finite ability to understand God's will in my life. Um, there's nothing wrong with that, because how can you go beyond your own limitations? It's a bit like what Josh said in his prayer again, is that we just have to stand back, and, and Stash as well, stand back at the mystery of who God is, like Stash experienced on Monday and was just overwhelmed. We just have to stand back and go, God, I don't know. I can't see beyond myself. But I know that you're telling this incredibly uh, complex story and it's going to unfold and somehow I have a place in that plot line and I know that it's good because you are good and you've connected me with Jesus and this is exciting, so I'm going to keep praying, but I just have to be satisfied with the mystery, with the unknown, with I don't know. That's not a lack of faith. It's actually, now, there is, there, is a, there is a prayer that sounds exactly the same. That's a lack of faith. Um, let's say we're praying for someone to be healed. God, will you heal this person if it's your will? In other words, I don't really know if God ever is going to heal someone. But, um, hey, man, I guess if it's his will, he'll get through us. There's another prayer that goes, God, will you heal this person? Because I completely know that you can and will. But if you don't, I also know that you're doing bigger things than I understand. And you may be working through this. I remember we prayed for a professor at university. I went to a Christian seminary. Um, and we were praying for a professor who, who didn't... Who didn't uh, it was a reformed university. They didn't believe in the gifts of the Spirit. Um, and we, we were praying for healing. Well, sorry, they didn't believe that the gifts of the Spirit existed anymore, that they were just for the apostolic age. And he was going to have heart surgery. And I didn't know this. I, was, I came from a charismatic background. I didn't even know what reformed mean, meant. I think I might have been able to say Luther and Kelvin, but probably not. Um, and so I said, could we, could we pray for you? And I had another friend. He knew better than I did. Um, he knew exactly what we were doing. I didn't have a clue. Um, so he's like, yeah, sure. So we got up and we went to him and we put our hands on his, on his shoulder. And the whole class went, <gasps> And sat back, and everyone, and I couldn't understand. They were like, they looked like they were, there was, you know, deer in the head with uh, lights in the headlight. Just this, like, it's like, that's such a weird way to pray. Like, 
just close your eyes. Let's just pray. Anyway, we prayed. We closed our eyes, prayed, God, won't you heal him? Um, and then we went and sat down, felt nothing. It was just that simple. Afterwards, found, heard about, like, you, you know, don't believe in again. But I was like, oh, well, we've offended everyone in the class without even, we, without even knowing, which is a good thing. I don't know if we had done it, if we had known. Well, my friend would have, uh, but I don't, I don't know if I would have. Um, anyway, then there's a soccer game the next week or something, and we go. Now, he's going to have a stint put in his heart, surgery. They've already checked it all. He's already on the meds. This is not something new. He's, this, is, this is proven records, scans, blah, blah, blah. We go to the soccer game, come back. The, the campus is in chaos. Have you heard what happened? No, what happened? Professor so-and-so got up at convo, convocation, assembly, like this. Got up and said to the whole student body, I just want to say, at this school, we don't believe theologically in the gifts of the Spirit. He has to. If he doesn't say that, he'll lose his job. However, God has miraculously healed me. And he, and he, he didn't have heart surgery. His heart was fine. He went off the meds. He never had the stint put in. He was absolutely 100% healed. And this renewal uh, happened on campus. God was doing something much bigger than just giving him a, a, non, a, a healthier heart that no longer needs a stint. God renewed a whole Christian campus. And out of that one uh, moment, churches have been planted uh, in different parts of America. Um, I, can, I can go through, people were saved. Uh, I, I can probably tell you about, 50, in my own recollection, I'm sure there's much more, again, because God is complex. Uh, I can tell you of at least 50 stories that came from that one of what, how God renewed someone's heart or life or connected them to him. He, in other words, God tells a much bigger story than we understand. God, can you heal this person? It's got nothing to do with the person. I mean, it, it has something to do with the person. It's, it's not, but, but bear in mind, we're asking this in a global scope. God, you're doing something much bigger. Can you heal this person? And if you heal this person, we're excited to see what fruit comes from it. If you don't, we know that fruit's going to come from it. Either way, God, you're doing something because you are good, but you're mysterious. Does, does that make sense? Either way, either way, we have faith in the complexity of God. I hope that makes sense to you. So God tells these complex kind of stories. The story is going to escalate quickly. We're going to see from the single couple to the whole nation. And that's the way Luke's telling it. Because Luke tells us that uh, Zechariah gets picked just a little bit of the details. Zachariah gets picked. There's only once in your life as a priest, one of 18,000 priests, only once in your life are you able to go into the holy place and, and serve there. And Zachariah by lot gets picked on this day. And then there's four ways, four services that you can do. You can go light a candle. You can go put incense on the altar. And he gets to put incense on the altar. And that's about prayer. If you're going to do that, you go in and you put incense on the altar and you pray the short prayer because no one wants to be in the holy place for long because that's where you can die. The priests go in with bells. You go into the holy place. If there's anything unholy in your life, you drop dead because you're in the holy presence of God. And they have to drag you out with a rope because if someone else goes in, they drop dead. <laughs> now imagine being the person who forgot to put the rope on and now you're in charge of going and putting a new rope on the guy who dropped dead in the room. <laughs> you would quickly come up with inventing some sort of hook or something that you could just throw in. My point is, this, although it's a privilege, it's not one you want a lot. Yeah. And it's not one you're going to stick around. You're going to go in, pray your prayers about once in, do your job, put incense on the altar, that you pray, fragrant prayer to God that His mercy would come upon the people, and then you want to get out there, and he's at the top of the steps, it says the whole nation's gathered to pray, or a multitude of people have gathered to pray, at, at, because incense is happening. They're not so much praying, 
as they are, this guy's going to go in and pray for us. It's a little bit more like the people sending Moses up the mountain. You know, we're going to gather, but you go talk to God. We're, it's the moment of incense. The nation comes to pray, but you're the one that goes inside and lays the incense and prays. And then you come outside and you stand at the top of the steps with two priests on either side of you who were there to help you, and, and you uh, pray a prayer of blessing upon us. And it's so significant that he comes out and he can't do that. He's mute. In other words, there's something, he, he can't even bless the people simply. God is doing something. And it's not just about Zechariah, it's about the whole people. It's about everyone. And the angel said that, Gabriel said that. You know, this son is going to unite the hearts of the people. He's going to bring brothers and sisters together. He's going to bring children to their parents and the disobedient to the wise. He's going to bring the people together. This is a national uh, solution. This is something God is doing to the nation, the people of Israel. He's, uni- he's bringing them back, or a multitude of them at least. And He's going to prepare the way of the Lord, the Messiah. So in his muteness, a lot is actually being said. Something's happening. This is great. And it becomes clear to everyone, he's seen a vision. Now, you, you, you've got to know that everyone's going to now watch, right? Which is maybe one of the reasons why Elizabeth went into hiding for five months. But what's happening? What's going to, why was he mute? What, what, what was the vision? And he's using sign now. He doesn't know sign language, so who knows what he's doing with his hands. The people don't know sign language. It's not like he's using Auslan to communicate what happened. But he's trying to communicate what God has done, and I'm sure he did a great job of it. Finishes his duty and eventually goes home and shares with Elizabeth what happened. But ultimately, Zechariah was rebuked because of his lack of faith. We often want God to give us a sign, Right? I remember Michael Eaton, I'm going to throw my children under the bus, but just, just briefly. <laughs> they were very young. Michael Eaton was staying with us, and I remember Ella was small enough, she was probably four or five. She was small enough to be sitting on his lap, and he was a very old, frail man, so she was a very small child to be able to do that. And she sat on his lap, and she asked him, do you have any stories of angels? And he, he did, he had lots, but he refused to tell one. He went, no, why... Why do you want to know stories about angels? And just like us, she wanted to be wowed. Well, wow me about a story about an angel or something so I can know all of this is like amazing and true and good. And he refused. All he would talk about is Jesus. Which to a four or five-year-old is, is irritating. <laughs> While as parents, we got it. And I, I felt a bit of shame because there was, I never discipled you know, I was also like, yes, tell us some stories about angels. And only when he showed the supremacy of Jesus was I like, yes, I'm so glad you didn't. Show us the supremacy of signs and wonders over the supremacy of Christ. But we want these signs. We want these things. Just show me. Just, just prove it to me. And, the, and Zechariah shows us that if Gabriel himself walked into our bedrooms, it wouldn't convince us. Yeah. It wouldn't be enough. God speaks to Gideon. How will I know? Lay the fleece out, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's like this negotiation. At the end of the day, what's been unearthed is a doubt. Our our faith lacks sufficiency. And signs are not going to be the sufficiency of our faith. Gabriel wasn't enough. And so Zechariah gets this rebuke, which I, I don't think he alone deserves. I deserve it as well. But basically a situation happens 
where only God can get glory for what he does in Zechariah's life. That's what he's been waiting for. It's not like God is being unkind to Zechariah and Elizabeth. God's just waiting for the right time. And eventually, they get old enough for it to be impossible for them to have a child. And God goes, finally. The time is now. Here, Zechariah, you win the lottery. You come into my presence. Gabriel, go give him the message. It's go time. Zechariah goes home. They're four pregnant. Only God can get the glory for what he does. Only God can get the glory for what he does in our lives. This is supposed to stir us. It's supposed to encourage us. What are the things that are good that you're praying for, that you're asking God for, but they're impossible? What are the things that we grow tired? I, I, I was challenged and loved hearing Anna praise for her sister and still praise for her sister's healing decades after uh, her sister's been unwell. No sign of healing. Not a glimmer of hope. And it's true. We know she will one day be completely healed. But that's not what Anna's praying about. She's praying about her being healed. How so challenged. You know why? Because it's hopeless. And it's like it's not, it's not like they haven't had faith. It's not, I know Anna's family. They've probably fasted. They've probably asked hundreds of people to pray. They've probably pounded on heaven's door. If there was a heavenly sledgehammer, I guarantee you there are people in her family that have picked it up multiple times, evolved it, developed it, and bashed on the door of heaven. It's not like stones have been left unturned. It's hopeless. Except that if God wants to do it, He will do it. And I loved, I was challenged and loved that they are clinging on, not just for the future hope, but also for the present And who knows what God might do? Who knows what story God is telling? Let's get to the conclusion. Elizabeth responds in a different way. Zechariah asks the sign for signs. Hey, Gabriel. <laughs> I mean, that's just amazing. Zechariah, just, just, just pause quickly. Just to give you, you can go read it. You'll see it now when you go back and read it. Zechariah is terrified. Without being too crass, he may have spoiled himself. <laughs> he is, he's traumatized. It's not this like, wow, he is terrified. Fear grips him. He's not enjoying this message. Even though the Gabriel's like, just relax. I've come here with a great <laughs> message for you. Chill out. Well, what's the sign? Well, what, how are you going to show me? What do you mean, what's the sign? I'm here. I've come from the presence of God. I'm standing in front of you telling you I came from God and I'm telling you what he said. What more do you want? You know what? You're just going to be mute. <laughs> just enough. Don't some parents wish they could do that with their children? I've told you already. You know what? Until I give you a birthday present, you're just going to be mute. <laughs> Anyway, just jokes aside. So she responds differently. She rejoices in the Lord. She falls pregnant and she stays in her home for about five months just rejoicing in the Lord. Imagine growing up in the womb of a woman that just daily gets up to rejoice in the Lord. Just a mum that's just so, so loving and trusting of God. How beautiful is that? Those of you who have the privilege of carrying children, rejoice in the Lord. 
Every day she would wake up and praise God for this child. And she understood that God answered her prayers and showed kindness. Zachariah was a typical guy. She's a great example of just receiving what God has said and knowing that it's good and kind. So, in conclusion, Luke wants Theophilus and us to be certain about the gospel of Jesus. We can't be certain about much, but we can about that. Do you have certainty about the gospel? Jesus wants you to have it. Our circumstances can cause our faith to struggle. Acknowledge that. It's okay. Suffering is the great way that God shows us our need for Him. God is not deaf to our prayers. He's working His will out in ways we can never imagine. We may grow weary and tired, but He does not. He's the already previous God, which means He's able to say in ways that we won't fully understand. You pray, Lord, please, can you blah, blah, blah. And God is able to say, I already have. Even though in our experience, we can't see it. Nothing's changed. God, can you do X, Y, Z? I already did. No, you didn't. No, I already did. You'll see. Just wait. (laughs) So where does this leave us today? I want to get practical and get to communion. Mostly our faith struggles when we pray and God doesn't answer us. It's a struggle for us to understand that. I think sometimes we do better with the no's than with the silence. Silence is something that we struggle with a lot. The I don't know's. I don't know what God's saying. But we see in this text uh, how to pray. What are you praying about? You know, Gabriel was able to say, Zechariah, God's going to answer your prayer. If, God, if Gabriel came to you today, and I'm sure even though I said signs won't be helpful, I'm sure every single person in this room would go like, yeah, I'm up for that. Like, Gabriel, come to me today. Just not the bathroom, but other than that, come at any other moment you like. What, if he said God's going to answer your prayer, what would, he, what would you know he means? What are you holding on to? What are you crying out for? What's the deep longing of your heart that only God can fulfill? God puts us in positions where every one of us has a longing that only God can fulfill. He wants to be the satisfaction of our longing. So what is it in us that that stirs us to God? How often do you pray about this? What's the record you're keeping of His faithfulness in answering your prayers? Have you been changed by God not answering your prayers? That's part of the journey as well. Are you uh, willing to pray about something good until it's literally impossible? Bach tells us that there's three ways uh, God answers prayers. Number one, just practically, is immediately. Those are the ones we like the most. Yes, that was the professor, praying for the professor's healing one. Actually, God did much more than we even expected. The immediate ones. Number two is the eventually ones. Those are ones we like less. But we're stuck in time, and so we have to wait for the eventual answer. Number three is the differently ones. That God answers our prayers differently to what we prayed them, prayed for them. So <laughs> that's kind of the switch and what's it switch and grab what's the thing we have it's like I don't know I'll forget don't worry about it 
But you ask for something somewhere and God goes yes and then gives you the answer and it's totally different to what you wanted or expected. Like, no, that's not what I asked for. No, that's exactly what you asked for. Uh, that's how you have to get it. Can I get married? Yes, you can be married to me the rest of your life. No, that's not what I was asking for. No, fundamentally the longing is for companionship and I'm going to give you me. That's what you're going to have. Can I have a child? I, I don't want to go through all the, the things. But you understand the point, that God kind of goes, yes, and then gives us the answer. And it's like, no, that's not exactly how I wanted the answer. That's not what I wanted. So there's three ways. Eaton says there's three, there's three prayers we can pray, with the, and then there's an appropriate response. The number one is a sinful prayer. So here's how you, here's how you respond to your prayers that are sinful. Um, now pay attention, because these are important. Number one, the prayers that are sinful, you stop them. Not rocket science, you just stop them. <laughs> this is when I wished I, we could hear kind of a parent voice from God, more motherly voice than a fatherly voice, I imagine in my mind's eye, but someone just saying, Stop it! <laughs> it's not complicated, just stop. God says no prayer, or God says no to a prayer. These are prayers we have to let go of. <laughs> My mom uh, was a wonderful mom, but I didn't enjoy her in my teenage years. <laughs> not very much. I enjoyed her a little bit, but not very much. Especially when I wanted an answer to something. My mom is, a, is an unusual lady. She's a remarkable woman. I've never, seen her, I've never seen her have a bad day, for, as an example. I'm sure she has. I've just never seen it. But she also never felt compelled to answer my questions. <laughs> which if you know me, is very frustrating. <laughs> I have lots of questions. So, mum, why can't I do that? Because I said so. I, I heard you. That's why I'm asking, why can't I? Because I'm your mother. You're not telling me anything I don't know, mum. You're my mother and I heard you. Why? What was your reason for saying no? I don't need a reason. <laughs> <laughs> When God says no, we just have to let go of it. We don't get to ask why, 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 why. Yeah. We just have to trust Him. Yeah. Those ones that we have to let go of can hurt. Yeah. They, they can hurt a lot. God says just move on. Just trust me. It's never move on alone. It's always move on with me. I'm just acknowledging that it's painful. But we have to say, okay, God we trust you and we open up our hands and we let go and, and even though we know that he's always going to put something different that, that's better for us in, back into our hands it's still not easy to let it go that's the nature of the gospel how easy would it have been for Mary and Joseph to hear Jesus 12 year, years old say you know where were you you're supposed to be with us you, you know on the trip oh I was in my father's house I'm your father no I was with my I was in my father's house and Mary and Joseph had to just let him go to God. When Jesus starts his ministry and heads towards the cross, I've never been a mother, but I can't imagine it was easy for Mary to let him go to Calvary. It was better for her. It would save her. We have to just let things go. And then the third kind is the rest of them, everything else. These are prayers we have to pray, we have to trust God, 
and we have to believe that God is kind. We just keep going. We keep trusting. We keep praying. Even if we are barren to solve it, we keep going because we trust God with the answer. So we all want signs, but what we actually need is faith that God is always good. And God is always working out His will with us in mind, right? Right?